Oh, welcome back to another late Friday afternoon, 6 p.m. as always. Um, still going through the book Custom Justice. We're in chapter number 28 right now called Prisoners of War. So the photo that I attach to each of these episodes, um, most of them are related to the actual story. They're photos that were taken of me around the time, or they are photos that I took of different things that I was seeing while I was sightseeing. Um, pretty soon that's going to have to change because the majority of the rest of this book, not this chapter, but a lot of the chapters coming up are going to be very much involved in uh, the the ugly side of human trafficking, which honestly, there's not a pretty side. So it's all ugly sides. So anyway, if you've been paying attention to those photos, great, good for you. Um, but that's about to change. Sorry about that. So I'll probably just post something like the cover of my book instead. Whatever. Uh, speaking of the book, if you want to pick up a copy of it, you can always do that by going to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever your favorite online book retailer is. It's available in ebook. It's paperback. It's hardcover. Pretty soon it will also be an audiobook, but that might not be until towards the end of this year. Um, if you think I'm reading too slow or if you've got other chapters you want to catch up on, please feel free to pick up a copy of the book. You can read ahead and you can make fun of me when I skip over words that I myself wrote because I don't read this verbatim. <laughs> Maybe that's weird since I wrote it, but I can't do it verbatim. I just can't. It's weird. I can't. I'm telling my story. Yes, I'm telling my life story, but I know the story better than anybody. So if I paraphrase something, just know that a story is not changing. I might just be missing a word like but or the or adding a period where there wasn't one or taking out a spelling mistake that I found because um, <laughs> that happens too. Anyway, um, I'll be back right after this message. Chapter 28, Prisoners of War In the morning I woke myself up moaning. It echoed between my ears like a gong being struck by a metal mallet. I felt my heart pounding just behind my eyes, causing them to feel as though they might pop out of my head if I lifted my eyelids. Somehow I struggled to wake up not long before there was a knock at the door. Room service was delivering breakfast. The night before was a blur. I wondered if it maybe just been a nightmare. Maybe I'd imagined it all. Surely Richard wouldn't do something like that. It had to be a drunk nightmare. Maybe someone gave me drugs and I imagined the whole thing. I was famished. I felt as though my neck had been cut and I hadn't eaten for days. The cart was wheeled into the room. I got out of bed and rushed over to the table and lifted the lib and lid and nearly lost what few contents I had in my stomach. The smell of the full Scottish breakfast overwhelmed me. As much as I loved mushrooms, they were the absolute most appalling things I had the displeasure to lay my eyes on at that moment. I steadied myself and took a breath. Still very hungry, I swallowed my sickness and dove in head first. Richard and I were both feeling the same way. It wasn't long before the food had vanished completely, leaving several empty plates free of even a smear. Scottish porridge oats seemed very much like oatmeal to me, but better. The haggis, black pudding, sausage, beans, toast, eggs, mushrooms, and everything else was like pure heaven to me. My head still pounded, but nothing could get in the way of food. 
A momentary flashback of the girl from the night before launched itself into my brain and I swung backward in shock. She'd been naked in the hotel room. She'd come out of the bathroom wearing lingerie. What in the world had we done? What had I done? What should I do? You know, about last night, Richard seemed to read my mind. If you don't want to do it, that doesn't ever have to happen again. What exactly happened, I asked between bites and flashbacks that were causing me to feel as though the room was spinning. We can talk about that later, he offered. For now, I think you might need hangover cure and headache tablets. He handed me an orange drink called Lucozade and a package of paracetamol, the well-known cure for a hangover in Scotland. But we had fun with you anyway, he grinned. My skin crawled for a moment, but I let it go. He had to be kidding me. It was all a prank and I'd actually fallen asleep. It had been a movie we'd seen on the hotel TV. That had to be the truth. I'd fallen asleep. I smiled at my brilliant brain, proud of myself for having figured it out. He didn't need to tell me. He was quite the practical joker, that one. I'd need to keep my eye on him. Finally, with overly full stomachs, Richard and I struggled to pack our bags. We needed to load up the car and check out of the hotel before we could go to the castle. I sat and relaxed a moment, nursing my throbbing head a moment longer, while Richard went to check out. Just as he got back, he grabbed my camera up and took a photo of me. He said it was so I could remember my first ever hangover. If I'd known the real reason he took the photo, I would have been appalled. It wasn't my hangover he wanted to document, but another first altogether. I couldn't wait to get to the castle. My camera had a nearly full charge on it, and I was ready to go. My head still had a hard time catching up to me, though, so Richard introduced me to something called Resolve. In the United States, Resolve is a cleaning agent potent enough to kill someone if they were to drink it. In the United Kingdom, it's one of the most brilliant hangover cures known to man. I don't know if I would have survived the day without it, looking back on that day now, if my memory had been clear. I'm not sure I would have wanted to. My head was starting to feel a little bit better, but I still felt completely off. The hike up the side of the ancient volcano to the castle was brutal on me that morning. I didn't know how to cope with a hangover. I've since been told that I hit it quite well, but even now I don't feel like that had been possible. I felt incredibly ill. It was a strange struggle just to stand up straight. I was incredibly weak. The line to get into the castle was surrounded by large metal bleachers. I couldn't figure out what it was for, and Richard beat me to the question. They're preparing for the presentation of the royal military tattoo, he explained, nodding his head in the direction in which I was looking. It wasn't until some time later I discovered what the royal military tattoo even was. They do a special event every year at Edinburgh Castle in mid to late August. It had nothing at all to do with ink-penetrating skin. (laughs) We got to the ticket stand, and after entering the main gates of the castle and winding our way through a switchback line filled with hundreds of people. Finally, at the ticket stand, we purchased a souvenir book about the castle. Within a few seconds of getting the tickets in hand, my hangover was all but gone thanks to adrenaline leaving me filled with nothing but excitement about this new adventure and the opportunity to learn something new. Never did I realize how much I would be learning that day, including about my own nation. We met up with a tour guide who would walk us through the highlights of the castle, explaining parts of the history I wouldn't be able to find in my souvenir book. 
She would turn out to be an excellent tour guide, speaking slowly enough for my untrained American ears to understand her, though still speaking with a thick accent. That castle was much larger on the inside than I could have possibly imagined from our view on the hotel balcony. It seemed to defy what I had known a castle to be, with everything being connected, leaving a center courtyard somewhere roughly in the middle. Instead, Edinburgh Castle was spread out with many individual buildings here and there. It had many odd angles to it, and cobblestone paths wound their way around corners, under multiple gates, and to the outer walls of the castle. Parts of the castle were much older than other sections, but it wasn't until we reached the oldest building in the castle, in the entire city of Edinburgh, that the tour guide explained why that was. St. Margaret's Chapel was built by David I in 1130 AD as a private chapel for the royal family. It was called St. Margaret's because it was dedicated to his mother, Margaret, who died in the castle in 1093 AD, nearly 40 years before. She had evidently been completely devastated by the horrible and violent death of her husband during an ambush attack. Some speculate that the chapel was part of what was originally a much larger royal home since the bricks forming one wall of the structure are different from the other three sides. It's entirely possible that the three different sides might have been interior walls at one time. It seems rather simple from the outside, but St. Margaret's Chapel was one of the most remarkable sights in the entire castle from the inside. St. Margaret's is still used for christenings and weddings to this day, though the chapel is small, and I have a hard time picturing any kind of weddings actually taking place in something that small. The biggest surprise the castle had to offer me was yet to be seen, but it would be something that would stick with me for the rest of my life. The castle prisons held one of the biggest surprises for me as we wandered through the rows of bunks and hammocks. The bedding was appalling, and the eating area seemed too similar to the latrines for my taste. But that was prison life back then. The prisons I saw were buried deep beneath the great hall, and we had to wander deep in the depths through vast staircases in order to reach them. They were used for several purposes, including food storage, barracks, and even a bakery. But there use as prisons during the time of war was what really amazed me most. It wasn't the fact that they were prisons, but more of what was on display for all to see and touch. The prisons had been turned into kitchens and then converted back to prisons during the American Revolutionary War, and it held Spaniards, Dutchmen, Irishmen, and Americans. Some of those Americans were, in fact, Scots, who had gone to America and found themselves amid the conflict and not at all by choice. Some of them had been prisoners released into forced servitude as slaves. They were forced to fight in a war that they didn't understand. They decided they didn't want to fight for the English and fought instead for the Americans. Many were then captured as traitors and brought back to the castle to die. I ran my fingertips over one of the original wooden doors that kept the prisoners in their confines. There, much to my amazement, was a hand-carved original representation of the first American flag that stood for the original 13 colonies. Next to it was the date carved into the wood, 1776. I stood in awe, shivers running up and down my spine. I stood where my ancestors stood. I stood free while I stood imprisoned, and I owned that freedom 
I owed that freedom to the men who carved that flag into the wooden doors of a prison cell far away on the castle rock of Edinburgh. I never imagined that the roles would be so completely changed thanks to the man who stood beside me holding my hand, wanting me to believe that he loved me. We spent hours in the castle going from place to place and even getting to see the infamous coronation stone still used to crown the English royalty and the Scottish crown jewels. Every, anyone else would have been much more stunned to see the jewels than the prisons. But that American flag resonated in my mind. It haunted me in a way I couldn't understand for quite a few years to come. Now you're going to start to notice that some of these chapters feel and sound like they're really short. And that's because they're really difficult for me to get through um, reading them. But as difficult as they are for me to read them, they're actually even more difficult for me to write. So when I was originally writing this, I was kind of speeding through some of these chapters, trying to leave them somewhat brief, but getting the meat and potatoes, if you will, into the chapter. And that's because I was having to relive these moments in order to write them out in full detail. It was not easy. This was a real struggle. So this is a super short episode um, with what I'm doing right now with my little exit piece. It's going to be about 10 minutes. So uh, on one hand, I want to apologize because it's short. On the other hand, it's like, no, I don't want to apologize for that. Because this stuff is hard stuff, and as difficult as it was for me to write it, as difficult as it is for me to read it, for those of you who actually know me in person, it's probably not all that easy to hear it either. And I need to remember that for myself. So if you do have a copy of my book, if you are reading ahead, if you're catching up with previous chapters, please remember to take your time. This is not easy stuff to get through. Believe it or not, that was actually kind of a light chapter. It was not light in my life or in my heart or in my brain and it actually does cause a lot of PTSD flashbacks for me once in a while but this was much lighter compared to some of the other subject matter that I'm going to be getting into shortly um, until then I guess I will see you guys next week take care of each other love yourselves and I'll see you then Thanks for listening.